basically what this series is, it's just a question. It's a question that runs through my head often in many areas of my life, whether it is my job as a pastor, whether it's my role as a husband and a father, uh, my role as a son with my parents aging. I'm wondering, am I doing this right? And this question also probably most importantly and most often runs into, am I doing this thing called following Christ right? Am I doing it right? And so what I, what I don't want you to hear, I'm going to move this real quick. I won't be able to see your faces over here. What I don't want you to hear is this. Oh, Andy's going to give us 10 rules to follow to, to, that you would be in God's good graces and you won't go to hell. That's not what this talk is about. That's not what this series is about. Because if you know anything about what we are about is we are about Jesus and his grace and mercy upon us. That our salvation has nothing to do with how good we can be and how many rules we can follow. That's, that is not biblical discipleship. And so that's not, we're not talking about the legalistic, all right, I, I'm doing this right. Here's what, what, what I used last week, and this is a, a small illustration of hiking. I love to go hiking, and as you hike, inevitably every once in a while you get to a place on the trail where you really can't see the trail anymore. Maybe it's covered with leaves or pine needles or snow, or maybe it just has not been traveled that much, and it's not a clearly defined path. And so what do you do in those moments? I know I start to freak out a little bit, and I realize, am I lost? And what I start looking for are these things called guideposts. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? They're about this yay high in most places, and there's a little symbol on the guidepost of, of that trail, and so you're like, oh, I'm on the right trail. Okay, let's keep going. And then you keep walking, and then you see the next guide post. You're like, okay, that's where I want to go. Let's keep moving. We're on the right path. And so I want to kind of look at our Christian faith as a hike, as a journey, that we're walking down this path together, following Jesus. And if you're anything like me, every once in a while, you might just ask this question Am I doing this right? And what does it look like to follow Jesus? What should I be looking for? What should I be experiencing? What should I be thinking? What should I be feeling? So if you're anything like me, I hope that this series is going to be very practically helpful for you. So that as you, either whether if you are a believer, that it will help encourage you to say, hey, all right, let's keep going. Let's, let's, let's do this. Let's surrender this as you follow Jesus. And if you're not a believer in here tonight, maybe you're here with a friend or you just grew up in church and you really don't know what this whole Christian thing is about, I hope that you hear the gospel over and over and over throughout this series, because that's why we're here. Now, I want to define two terms for you that I did last week. The first one is, is we're going to define, see that word, am I doing this right? Here's this. This is the this that we're talking about. It's a biblical discipleship slash, if you want to say, following Jesus, All right? That's what we're going to tackle over this series. Am I following Christ in the right way? Am I walking down the path, following Jesus, letting the Holy Spirit lead me down the path? And, some, and we're going to look at some guideposts along the way. All right, the second word uh, is right there in the middle, discipleship. We hear this word tossed around in the church world a lot, but I want to make sure we define it quickly and simply. And this is the definition. It's just a student and a learner. Jesus is the master teacher, and we are the students. And if you are a Christian, if you are a disciple of Jesus, all that simply means is that you are a learner and a follower of Jesus, the master teacher. You're going to class every day. 
When you read your Bible, you're going to class. Jesus, teach me. Inform my heart. Inform my life. Because that's his role, and this is our role. Disciple and student. Now, just before we got here tonight, I was looking at my notes, and I had to, we were going to play a little game uh, just to kind of get our minds flowing and juices going, but we're not going to do that. All right? Uh, I was going to do this like name. I'm going to toss out a name, and then you're going to give me your immediate th- first thought of that person. Like we were going to start with Kevin Durant and like and just keep, go, go from there. Um, Josh, see, that's why we're not going to do it. I don't, I don't want hostility in the room. And so we're going to scrap that part of my talk tonight. Here's what, I just want to ask you a question. Because tonight is maybe the most simple and wonderful thing I could ever talk about. And I, just, I, I thought, you know what, Andy, why are we going to play a little game at this beginning? Like, let's, let's not do this. Let's just get right into it, because here's what I want to do. And whether you're a Christian or not, whether you are a skeptic, whether you are here and, you're, and you have walked away from your faith, here's what we're going to talk about tonight. And I, I've been waiting, I mean, I guess you know, I've been waiting a week to talk about this. Actually, I've been waiting about a month and a half, because when we plotted out this series about a month and a half ago, I couldn't wait for this night. Because tonight, can I just share the gospel with you? That's all I want to do tonight. I don't want to do anything other than remind you. This song we just sang, Light Defined, did you catch the word that came over and over and over? Remember, remember, remember. And it just dawns on me that the the whole uh, of, of Paul's letters in the Bible is just remembering Jesus. And I just wonder if sometimes life gets so busy, there's so much anxiety, there's so much worry, there's so much stuff to do, and there's so many things to attend, that we forget what the gospel is. That we forget the joy of our salvation. Because the gospel is not just for those who don't believe, the gospel is for the followers of Jesus. We need to remember who our teacher is. We need to remember who our master is. We need to remember what our Lord has done for us. So that when we sing these songs, I don't know if you're anything like me, but sometimes I just sing because there's words on the screen. I want to remember tonight. I want to remember. I want to start with this. Our thoughts and our our beliefs about ourselves and about God. Those two things could arguably, according to A.W. Tozer, could be the two most important things about you. What do you believe about God, and what do you believe about yourself? Because that's where the gospel starts. It's important for two reasons to talk about these things. Number one, because in 2 Corinthians 5.10, Paul says that one day you will be standing before God, just the two of you. Just you and the Lord. There will be a day where it's just you and the Lord. Standing before Jesus. And so let's, I want to talk a little bit tonight about those two individuals that are going to be in that conversation one day. You and Jesus. Because we will have a conversation. The second reason... This is important to figure out what we think about God and ourselves is because what we believe about God and ourselves directs our days and determines our eternities. Do you ever think about that? 
that what you believe about who you are as a person and what you believe about who God is determines your every day. And it also defines your eternity. Sit with that for a second. How often do we think about what we believe about God? What we believe about ourselves? Some of you may be saying, I don't really know what I think about myself. I know what I think about God or maybe vice versa. But oftentimes, how we live our lives, the choices we make, maybe even the opinions we hold, inadvertently showcase what we actually believe about God and ourselves. Like I love, if you're not in our Sunday school class, um, Holly shared her story this past Sunday, and she talked about how she believed two lies in her life. Holly, I know you're here, so I didn't get your permission, but you shared it in class, so I'm going to share it again. Um, and I love, she, she said, I believed the lie that if I could be perfect, if I could just be really, really good, that everyone would love me and God would approve of me. And then in college, she swung, swung, she swung over to believe a totally different lie. It was, I can do whatever I want because God will forgive me. And neither one of those are truth. In fact, both of them do the same thing. They suck the life out of us. Because either we're trying just really hard to make it all work so that everyone will love me and accept me and Jesus will love me, or the other side is we're going to abuse and use the grace of God. So tonight I want to talk about this idea of salvation. We're going to talk about what's involved in coming, becoming saved. The process of becoming a disciple of Christ. To go back to the hiking example, this is going to be our trailhead talk. Right? We've driven our cars to the mountain, we've found the trail, and now we're looking at it. We see the big sign that says bears, death, you know, whatever. We're going to go on. We've found the trailhead. And that's what tonight is. This is the beginning. This is where faith in Christ begins. Salvation. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. Tonight, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Titus chapter 3. So in the very right-hand side of your Bible, right after First and Second Timothy... It's probably, it's, it's, in my Bible, it's literally a page and one-sixteenth of a page. Like, this is it right here. It's very tiny. That's it. Titus chapter 3. This is where we're going to be tonight. And it's one of my, I shouldn't say this. It, it is probably um, the sweetest section of Scripture I've read in a long time. It's hard to read this without emotion coming out. But let me tell you a little bit about Titus very quickly. This is a letter from Paul to a guy named Titus. Surprise, surprise. Very similar to a letter that he wrote to Timothy. If you realize, Paul's not an email guy. He's a letter guy. He likes to write handwritten letters. But this specific letter is called one of the pastoral letters because he's writing to uh, Titus. He's writing to Timothy to instruct the church on how to do things. These books are pastoral in nature. They give directions. They give about care, about conduct, about order, about ministry of the believers of Jesus. So this is a, past, this is a letter from one pastor to another saying, this is how the church should function. Okay? So follow, me with, follow with me in Titus 3. We're going to start in verse 3. We're going to go through verse 8. It says this, 
Paul says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy and hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified, being made right, by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life, the saying is trustworthy. Now, before we get into the meat of, of, of our talk tonight, I just want to explain kind of a weird concept. Um, usually, like, when, when, when you hear a, a, maybe a sermon, you, you hear, like, a progression of thought. Like, and I usually do this, like, point one, point two, point three. And, and they work together in steps. I want you to throw that out. We're going to do three points tonight, but here's the strange thing about this process is they all kind of happen at the exact same time. Do you follow me? Like sometimes you're like, okay, how do I get dressed? Well, first I put on my underwear and then I put on my socks and then I put on my shoes. And I, like there's a process. This process is more like, hey, it's just all going to come on at the same time. Like some sci-fi movie. So I just want to set that table as we begin. That this is not a, hey, this happens, and then this happens, and this. It, God just works it out where it all just kind of happens all at the same time. Okay? So here we are. We're going to look at verse 3 first. And it simply says this. For our, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Wow, that sounds fantastic. Right? You're like, what? Well, here's my first point tonight. It's this, that salvation involves revelation. Salvation in Christ involves a revelation of this, of who we are apart from Jesus. Did you catch what Paul said? He said, for we ourselves were once, we were this. We were foolish. We were disobedient. We were led astray. We were slaves to our passions and pleasures. We were passing our days in malice and envy, and we hated one another. Like right there in one verse is life outside of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I don't have to look very far in our world to see this reality. We live in a world that hates one another. We live in a world filled with envy and foolishness, hatred, pleasures and passions, disobedience. This is our world, and this is us. And so for the, a part of salvation is this realization, this revelation through the Holy Spirit of who we are left by ourselves. And if you're anything like me, which maybe some of you are, some of you are not, my natural tendency is to make excuses and justify my behavior. Like this is one thing as a father that I see all the time. This is, I don't teach my children justification for their sin. They just do it, right? They do something they know they shouldn't do. 
We, and they get caught. And then all of a sudden, here comes the speech. Well, Dad, this was what happened, and this is why I did that. And we had this long back and forth. Like, I, I, I live with, with five tiny little lawyers. And, and they're arguing, trying to justify what they, why they did what they did and, and try to make it okay. And I listen, and I listen, and eventually they're out of excuses. And it's just my kid and me, and I have to ask the question, so explain to me why what you did was okay. Well, you don't, no, 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 I, I know the story, but explain to me why punching or lying or cheating or stealing is okay. And at the end, when all the excuses are gone, when all the justifications have been, have been dealt with, we're just left with our own sinfulness. This is who we are. We are born into sin. We're born into a world defined by verse 3 of Titus chapter 3. And we love to justify. And it's the Holy Spirit that does this. In John 16, uh, John 16, 8, Jesus says, listen, I have to leave so that the Holy Spirit will come. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin. And so if you've ever felt that conviction of sin, be excited because that's the Holy Spirit working in your life. Don't run from it. Don't hide from it. Embrace it because God's working in your life. If I just read down this list, and if you've ever connected your, your life to any of these things, passions, pleasures, hatred, envy, whatever it is, and the Holy Spirit in his infinite wisdom and grace nudges your soul, and says, Andy, that's you. Drop to your knees and praise the Lord for convicting you because he is working in you. And what revelation does is one of two things. It either draws us to repentance or it draws us to rebellion. One of the two. When we're confronted with our own brokenness, when we're confronted with our own inability to be perfect, we either rebel or we repent. There is no, no place in Scripture where repentance and salvation are separated. And so I want to just very quickly talk to you about false repentance. Number one, it's marked by guilt and shame. All right? Number two, we confess it simply to get rid of our guilt. That's the only motivation to confess, is I just don't want to feel bad anymore. So I'll, tell, I'll let somebody know to kind of let it off my chest. But here's the major distinguishing mark, number three, is we continue in the same direction. If we've had a revelation that, hey, I'm doing some things I should not be doing, I feel bad about it, I feel guilty, I feel shame of what I've done, the question is this, it's number three, because guilt and shame are not always a bad thing. There are some things we should do we should feel guilty about, that we should have shame about. We should confess. James 5, 16 says, confess your sins. Number three is the culmination of false repentance. We just keep going in the same direction. We don't change. We don't turn the car. So what is healthy repentance? Here it is. Healthy repentance 
means we have a change of heart, how we feel about what we've done. It's not just guilt. It's, I, I, oh, I shouldn't have done that. And I know why, because I'm a follower of Jesus, and that's not the life he has for me. I, I don't want to be involved in that. It's a change of heart. Number two, it's a change of mind, how I think about my sin. Is it something that I crave, something that I do, something that I run to as, a, as an escape? Do I see my sin as an escape, or do I see it and think about it as a rebellion against God? And then thirdly, it's a change of action. It's what we do. This is a map of healthy repentance, a change of heart, how we feel about our sin, a change of mind, how we think about our sin, and a change of action that we actually change what we do. We don't just keep going. I want to give you maybe a quick word picture. Let's just pretend you're driving down the, the, the freeway or highway at about 80 miles an hour. You're just having a great time. You're flying, and you're about to come over this big hill. You can't, you can't see over the hill, but you're coming up the hill, and there's this person on the side of the road waving their arms. No, stop. The bridge is out. Stop. Don't go. Stop. You have a choice at that moment. We can either recognize the warning and say, you know what? That's okay. If I blow past them fast enough, I won't hear them anymore because that's an annoying voice. Because you know what? I don't need a bridge. I know gravity works for everybody else, but no, I'm good. I, I'll just speed up. I'll keep going and I'll do it harder. I will party harder to get rid of that little feeling. I'll just run with a different crowd to get rid of that feeling. And I'll just press on the gas and go. That's the rebellion that comes in us and says, you know what? I'm going to be okay. I can handle this. It's contained right now. I'm good. Or we stop. We listen to that crazy person called the Holy Spirit on the hill saying, no, 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 no. This is not the way life was designed to be lived. God's got better for you. He's got more for you. In fact, going down this road will be create destruction in your life. Repentance means we stop the car put in reverse, do a sweet three-point turn, and we go back the other direction. That's repentance. Is we don't just stop it, we turn from it. We turn from it. That's the revelation. When we have the revelation of who we are left to ourselves without Jesus, it brings us to repentance or rebellion. But when you choose a life of repentance, when you choose to listen to the Holy Spirit, a celebration quickly follows. That's my second point. Salvation involves revelation, quickly followed by celebration. Verse four through six says this. Oh, this is the greatest but in the Bible. I'm just gonna read chapter verse three again. For we ourselves, follow me guys, listen to this. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy and we hated each other and we hated one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. 
So how can we talk about celebrating? Because of that huge but right there in verse 4. We're careening. We're careening down the highway. And he says, but God, in his loving kindness, did everything for you. God didn't think, ah, they're not that bad. God didn't save you because of your potential. He saved you because of his loving kindness towards you. And this is where that belief thing comes in. What do you believe about God? And you've heard me say this before. I grew up in a denomination in a church culture where there was a lot of guilt, there was a lot of shame, there was a lot of legalism. And I believe God was just watching to try and get me. That he was disappointed with me continually. That he was frustrated with me. But this verse right here in Titus chapter 3, verse 4, says no. It is because of his goodness and loving kindness that he saved you. He loves you. We've heard John 3, 16 a million times, for God so loved the world. And we, we kind of say it so fast and so by rote memory, we, don't, we forget. For God so loved you because he is good and his loving kindness he chose to save you. This is how we, we come to faith. We repent from our sin and we put our trust in him. We repent from our sin and we put our trust in him. We can celebrate because it's not your effort or my effort. It's not your ability or my ability. It's not your goodness that saves us. It's not my goodness that saves me. It's his effort. It's his ability. It's his kindness. It's his love. And it's his mercy that saves you and he saves me. And we can celebrate that. That is the good news of the gospel. He has done it on the cross. He said, it is finished. I did it all. I took care of your problem for you. I took care of your sin. I wiped it away. We've thrown it as far as east is from the west, and we will remember it no more. Because of the righteousness of Jesus, he lived a life that we could not live. And he died a death that we could not die. And he rose again from a death that we could not rise from. It is Jesus in his goodness and loving kindness that draws us to repentance. You know that's what Ephesians 2 says? It's not his anger, it's not his, his, uh, his you know, old grumpy self that draws us to repentance, it's his kindness. It's when we realize that God's loving kindness for you is what draws us to repentance. It's not guilt, it's not shame, it's his loving kindness that draws us to repentance. I love this line. Jesus didn't come to catch you in your sin, he came to set you free from the sin that has caught you. This changed my view of my faith. Because I grew up in a world that, was just, that told me over and over, Andy, God is going to catch you. He's going to get you. And when I read Titus 3, it says, no, 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 that's not the case. He came to set me free from the sin that has caught me. He wants to set me free. I grew up in a world where I thought the Bible was a rule, book of rules and regulations and restriction. What a lie from Satan that it's the exact opposite. It is freedom that Christ has set us free. He has taken the chains of death and let us go. He has forgiven us. And in this, we can celebrate 
Faith and repentance are the cornerstones of a, of a biblical saving faith. Revelation of our sin leads us to celebration because of what God has done for us. And at the same time, God begins our regeneration. And that's my third point tonight. Is salvation involves revelation, an understanding of who we are apart from Jesus. And that revelation brings us into a place of celebration for what he has done for us on the cross of Christ. It is because of his goodness and his loving kindness that he saved you. We can celebrate that. And at the very same time, when I put my faith in Christ, the Bible tells me that at that very moment, the Holy Spirit will indwell me and take up residence in me. And he starts this process of regeneration. Look at verse 5. It says, It is, uh, and the loving kindness of our God's, God, uh, our Savior, appeared. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Regeneration simply means rebirth. And this is where we get the term born again Christian. Do you know that? It comes from the word regeneration. We see the same conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus late at night, and Jesus says, you got to be reborn. you got to be born again. He's like, well, how can I go back in the womb? Like, I'm a grown man. He didn't get it. He said, no, you need the Holy Spirit to regenerate you. And that's his job. You see, we don't need a Chip and Joanna Gaines type of renovation on our lives. We don't, what, what is Jason, a shiplap? Is that, we don't need that. That's not what Jesus is doing. He's not renovating. We don't need an improved version of ourselves. We need a totally new self. We need new birth. The process of regeneration is taking one thing and making it something else entirely. And this is a weird concept to think about, isn't it? It's a little bit weird. A little mystical, like Holy Spirit's going to come into me, he's going to live inside of me, and he's going to regenerate me and, and make me new again. And not, not just renovated, not just reorganized, but a whole new self. What are you talking about, Amy? Haha, I love nature. Watch this. Mr. Caterpillar. He doesn't have a name other than Mr. Caterpillar. Little bug, climbs on trees, eats leaves, has a nice little existence, has a vacation home in Ardmore. Like, it's just nice. And he's, plug, he's plugging along. But as we all know, growing up in school, we learned that Mr. Caterpillar eventually is going to change. And this is called what? It is metamorphosis, but this is specifically a cocoon. <laughs> or another word, if you're Methodist, maybe you know this, chrysalis. Right? It's a chrysalis. Let me walk you through the process of what's happening right here. This is incredible. It, it's, it, I, man, I love God's creation because there's, there's these moments where you see his creation explain a biblical truth better than anything we could ever come up with. You've got this guy. I'm trying to go back. There you go. Mr. Caterpillar. He climbs up a tree. He wraps himself into this, and it looks much less appealing, not as colorful. It kind of looks dead, doesn't it? Well, here's what, what happens inside that chrysalis is the first thing that happens, and this is going to sound weird, but 
the caterpillar digests itself. It eats up everything about itself and turns it into a liquid. If at the right time you kind of chop that thing in half, liquid would drop out. But the crazy thing is it doesn't digest everything. It leaves these really complex, highly developed clumps of cells. And then those cells start feeding off of the protein of the rest of the dead carcass to grow everything that it needs. Wings, eyes, legs, front legs, whatever else a butterfly has. (laughs) Right? That's what happens, is it dies to itself inside that chrysalis. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there is new birth. And one thing goes in and a complete different thing comes out from the exact same thing. Look at that. You've got a caterpillar that can do nothing but crawl. And it goes into this cocoon and and, and chrysalis and it comes out and it can fly. Are you kidding me? Like, how awesome would that be? You go to bed tonight and you wake up and tomorrow you can fly. That would be incredible. But this is the best description I can think of of regeneration. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing in the Christian. Watch this. It says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. At the moment of salvation, at the moment you put your trust in Jesus for your eternity, when you repent and put your faith in Christ, God, through the Holy Spirit, you are made spiritually alive when at one point, when at one point you were dead. We were born spiritually dead. And the Holy Spirit makes us spiritually alive. If this sounds familiar... 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, but behold, the new has come. It is a whole new life. Like whatever's been in the past, that's why I love Paul's words in verse 3. For we ourselves were, in the past tense, we were fools. We were disobedient. We were led astray. We were slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice. And we used to hate, be hated by others, and we used to hate one another. But because of God's goodness and his loving kindness, he saved you. And now what Jesus deserved, we get. And what we deserved, Jesus got. We deserved condemnation and death. Jesus got condemnation and death. But we get what Jesus deserves, and that is God. The Holy Spirit living in us. And that starts the process of regeneration. Jesus didn't save you or me for some better future version of you. He saved you to make a completely new person, alive in Christ and dead to sin. Ephesians 2.1 says, you were, dead once, you were once dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, but, but God, again, a huge but, but God, rich in mercy, because of his great love for you, made you alive in Christ. 
Guys, regeneration is new birth. It's a new life. I don't know if you guys have been following the news at all, but um, there was this gal named Alice Johnson who was just pardoned by the president after like 25 or 35 years in prison for a first-time drug offense. It got a lot of national news because Kim Kardashian went to go meet with Donald Trump. What a weird phrase. (laughs) But Kim Kardashian went to Donald Trump on Alice Johnson's behalf. And Donald Trump pardoned her. And I want to I encourage you to go online. I thought about showing it, but just go online. Y'all have phones. Alice Johnson set free from prison. Look for the video. It's a minivan driving down the road, and she gets out, and her whole family is there. And the press have got their cameras in her face. like what? And she's just crying and hugging and whatever. And you know what she says? Like, the one reporter says, tell us how you, help us understand how you feel. What's it like to be out of prison, to see your family again? And I swear to you, her answer is what every Christian should feel when it comes to Jesus Christ. She said, I feel like I got a new life. I feel like everything that I ever did is gone. I've got a whole new future. Yes, that's Jesus. Everything you've ever done, everything you ever will do was paid for at the cross and you have a new start every single day because of the grace of Jesus. Because of his loving kindness towards you. Go watch Alice Johnson and tell me that's not a testimony of Jesus Christ rebirthing us into a new life in him. The old is gone. We're no longer in prison. Literally, we're no longer in prison. We're set free from our sin. When we were born, we had one option, and that was to sin, and that was to follow our passions and to follow our pleasures. That that was our only option, this world. But Jesus gives us another option, a wonderful option of new life in him, where he says, come to me, follow me, and you will find a rest for your souls. And Jason said it earlier, like that, 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 uh, caterpillar, it couldn't f- fly, but now it can fly. And when you become a Christian, you're going to have a peace and a joy that you could never have without Christ. You might have moments of happiness, but in Jesus, you have a peace that surpasses any understanding or knowledge of this world. You will have a joy even in the darkest seasons because you're no longer living a dead spiritual life. You are alive in Christ. Jesus breaks the chains of sin that enslave us, and he sets us free. So I want to give you our one truth and two questions as we close tonight. Here's the truth that you need to write down, put it in your phone, I don't care where you came from, what church you grew up in, what denomination, what theology. You need to know this truth. This is a biblical truth that you need to let marinate and soak deep into your soul. And it's this. God saved you because of his goodness, his mercy, and loving kindness towards you. He is coming at you from a place of love and affection. He looks at you with a tender kindness and love. The two questions are this, and this is number two is for the believer. Those of you in this room that have surrendered your life to Christ, 
Are you living a life that is marked by repentance, celebration, and regeneration? Let me flesh that out for you a little bit more. We don't just repent one time. It is a cycle of repentance. Because as we grow and the Holy Spirit convicts us, we're going to come across new things in our life. Aren't you glad that when you give your life to Jesus, he doesn't just dump every conviction on you at the same time? Like, I couldn't handle that. I can barely handle one. When, God, when, when I feel that conviction of something in my life, it's like, oh, dang it. Okay, got to work on that. Repent it, confess it, and start working on it. So maybe for the Christian in this room, what sin might you need to repent from tonight? Not just confess, but to turn from. What sin might be in your life that's controlling you, that you always run to, that you find comfort in, that in some strange way has actually become your functional God? That you run to it, you worship it, you will do anything for it. It controls your calendar. It controls your emotions. It controls your money. What do we need to repent from and turn from? Because the Holy Spirit is saying, whoa, whoa, this is the path to destruction. Let's turn around and go to the path of life. And do you know why he does that? Because he loves you and he cares for you. So to the Christian tonight, if you're in here and you're, you're following Jesus, are you living a life that's marked by repentance? Is that a continual thing? Is your life marked by celebration? Have you ever just by yourself, without a band, without the venue, without the lights, ever just worshiped Jesus and cried because of the goodness and wonderfulness of the cross? Is your heart broken by your sin, but it is healed and put back together because of the grace of Jesus? Have you ever worshiped, fallen to the floor by yourself, in, in your house, wherever, on a walk, just celebrating the goodness and the faithfulness of God? And do you see the regeneration process of God making you new each and every day? He's taking the old things in your life and putting them to death, and he's giving you a whole new life. Is there any change in your life? Have you made, is there any radical difference between where you are now and where you were before Jesus? If there's no difference, come talk to me afterwards. Because we need to talk about have you actually surrendered your life to Jesus? Because when the Holy Spirit comes in, things change. If nothing has changed, we got to ask, is the Holy Spirit present? Has there been a real um, salvation moment? If you're not here as a Christian, maybe you're, I call it, the, if you're a pre-Christian, because if you're here, God's working on you, you're a pre-Christian. It's going to happen. You're not here for, by mistake. My question is this, what are you waiting for? You're old enough, young adults, to see what our world has to offer. You see what our world offers, and it's nothing but disappointment, shame, guilt, hatred, envy, discontent. And Jesus says, no, no, no. come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will show you real rest. Follow me. Watch for me and learn from me, and you will find rest for your soul. I'll give you a new life. So if you're not a believer, what are you waiting for? I hope tonight you, you, you do some business with the Lord. And so here's what we're going to do. We started this last week, and we're going to do it again. We're going to go into our 122nd time. 
And what I want to challenge you to do in the next 120 seconds, two minutes for those who are math not good, uh, or English not good, is the band is just going to play some, some instrumental music. And we're going to, Zach, can we just drop the lights as, as, as low as they go? And I want you to just sit in your seat and do business with the Lord. Write down what you're thinking. Put it in your phone. Because sometimes our best response is not just immediately sing and praise. We're going to celebrate in just a second the goodness of God. But let's take two minutes and ask God, show me. Show me in my life where I need to repent and turn. Show me where I need to celebrate your goodness. Show me what you want to do in me. Our prayer team, as always, is going to be in the back. they got little lanyards on. If you need to be prayed for, go pray. If you, want to, if you got questions about what I talked about tonight, the salvation, the starting point of, Jesus, of following Jesus, go talk to them. They are ready. They were praying for you for like 20 minutes before you ever got here. So let's do some business with the Lord right now. Just in your seats, in the back, go pray with somebody. Let them pray for you. But you just spend two minutes, 120 seconds, letting God's word, Titus chapter three, the goodness and loving kindness of God just rush over you. Not a little drip. Stick your whole body under the waterfall of his grace. And let his grace just fall on you. That you would know his loving kindness for you. Regardless of where you've been or what you've done. And here in a few minutes, we're going to celebrate and we're going to worship. Because... He has saved us because it is his mercy and his doing.